We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I wanted to jump in quickly and let you know about the release of the audio version of my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, narrated by David A. Knasser. If you want to support the show, you can buy it wherever audiobooks are sold. Links are also in the show notes. Now on to my guest for today, Stan Rimkovich, founder and CEO of Oprah, a lead generation agency out of Poland. Stan's start as an entrepreneur began when he was training to be an Olympic snowboarder. He couldn't get a traditional job, so he had to think outside the box and try to have some fun. So he went into sales. Snowboarding didn't ultimately pan out, but Stan took what he learned as a sales rep and found a lead generation company. His company, Oprah, it's a platform that helps companies land sales meetings. Stan's approach to sales is straightforward. Work the process every day, ultimately building up successes and experiences. It's important for entrepreneurs to get a clear and interesting product and messaging so that they can land their own clients first before actually going to a agency like Stan's. Stan sees the role of his company as taking over once the founders have figured out their messaging so they can help close more sales and scale their business. His own goal right now is to be able to soon convert his part-time sales reps to working full-time so they can have what they've been looking for when they first started, an independent life that completes them. Now, let's get better together. 
Stan Remkovich. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. Yeah. And uh, what's kind of cool is we met again through uh, matchmaker.fm, which I have been interviewing a ton of people from matchmaker.fm and they don't even pay me to say how cool it is. So <laughs> I'm pretty. Yeah, it, 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 it is cool. I've been able to also get a couple of good, uh, cool podcast appearances through that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just interesting because, you know, it's, it's funny how it's sort of hard sometimes to kind of find guests and especially guests that are like you, that you want to talk to. And, and it's funny because, you know, in, in the entrepreneur world, one, there's lots of podcasts about entrepreneurs Two, There's just lots of entrepreneurs that want to talk about themselves because <laughs> we're like the kind of people that are like, sure. You want me to talk about what I do anytime? Tell me more, tell me more. Right. Um, and so I love, you know, obviously I love hearing the story of how people do what they end up doing right now. So Stan, I'd love to hear how you ended up doing what you're doing right now. Yeah. So basically I've been sort of, I, my whole entrepreneurial journey started because I needed to make some money and a nine to five job was not an option for me because I sort of was snowboarding full time. I was in a Polish national team, a snowboarding team, and, you know, with the plans to go to the Olympics. And, you know, I was one week on the mountain, one week off the mountain. So a job is sort of not, was not an option for me. So I decided, okay, let's try to have some fun with it. And let's try different things. And eventually I started a sort of lead generation started to work for me. I was sort of uh, doing a lot of work for clients. So I, you know, started doing agency, started an agency. So a lead generation agency, um, I did that for a couple of years too. And basically, you know, I have helped startups, digital agencies, software houses. I generated over $1.5 million in sales for them. So it's sort of nice. And I just recently sort of transitioned into a marketplace. So it's a paper meeting marketplace where sales reps schedule sales calls and companies pay only for results. Yeah. So Wow. So this is sort of like your first job or like, so it's interesting. You're like, okay, I'm a snowboarder going to, I'm good enough to get on, get on an Olympic team, right? Potentially get on an Olympic team. And it's like, well, I can't really have a normal job. <laughs> so, it, it, I mean, literally, is this like the first thing that you started to do? Or did you have a job before this or what? what? No, so I, I had a job before this. I was a sales rep uh, at one company. Uh, and that was only my one real job I ever had, right? In the past, when I was sort of a teenager and much younger than I am now, uh, I did, you know, basic stuff that any normal teenager teenagers do, which is try to sell website to local businesses and try to make some money off of that. So not the first uh, venture whatsoever I had. I think like probably 10 or so before. Oh, really? So always sort of been a hustler, like never yeah. Wa yeah. wanted yeah, to yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah. yeah, I, I mean, did. that. Go ahead. So I didn't really like the vision of me going to work. Uh, I just wanted to work on my stuff. 
and have fun with it all the time. Cool. Cool. And so tell me a little bit more about snowboarding. I mean, I didn't know that snowboarding was actually that big in Poland or Europe. I mean, you know, I'm old school. I just used to ski a lot. You know, these snowboarders are like, ah, you punks <laughs> just messing the mountain up with your whatever shenanigans. So, I mean, tell me a little bit more about how you got into snowboarding and kind of what that, what's the process on almost being, or, or were you an Olympic athlete or did you? Yeah. yeah. Olympic, Olympic team. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I, yeah. Uh, so um, you basically like in business sort of, you start, you train a lot and then you hopefully win some um, tournaments. And if you win, you get selected to national team and then you go to the sort of uh, more international tournaments and uh, races. And that's just how basically how it works, right? Um, it's not like Polish has a very big snowboard scene. I think sort of my career ended because I wanted to sort of stop doing snowboarding and the sort of the whole snowboarding scene fell apart. So I decided, okay, I'm not going to pursue that. I'm just going to focus on, on this. And yeah, it, it sort of worked for me. Hmm. So, so what are some of the things like you mentioned that, you know, snowboarding or, you know, that process is similar to starting a company. What, what were some of the parallels? I mean, how, how did you, you know, how, how did you go about like, once you decided, okay, I'm not going to get a normal nine to five job you know, working for a company just doesn't seem like it's for me. And I mean, it's good that you found that early. Cause a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to figure out, Oh, do I, give, you know, my freedom for money or do I want more freedom? How, you know, how was that process? I mean, was it, was it because of your kind of snowboarding athletic experience or was there something else in your background that sort of said, yeah, this entrepreneurship thing, I should pursue it. No, it was just strictly practical thing, right? I cannot get a job. So I need to make some money Right, because I want to have money. Right? No, any, any, any guy. So it's it not like I, I had to, but I just wanted to have fun with it, and that's it. Right. Um, so the the sort of entrepreneurial journey was pushed at me uh, from the from the get go. So maybe that's why I had an easier time choosing this over the normal route, just like college and internship job up to the corporate ladder than maybe found the company find the company yeah 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 so is anyone in your family an entrepreneur not really not really no no so sort of like my family where they don't they don't even understand how i make money <laughs> yeah 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 so so a couple of people from my family sort of understand that um because they are involved in small startup world but it's more like corporate innovation so they sort of sort of get it but my whole family has have been a sportsman from the beginning and at least from 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 like i don't think it's like six generation or five generations so pretty pretty common yeah my dad my dad actually uh races um on motorbikes yeah motorbikes. Oh. Yeah, it's it's like it's a, it's a hobby for him, but you know he has a bikes. He bikes um, 
you know, um, tires every time he goes to track and, and the full, full, they have the issue. He have a full wheelhouse. With, oh, wow. So yeah. sort of the competitive sports kind of in the blood, like it's a family thing. Yeah. Like uh, yeah, yeah. 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 It's a family, family, family. That's thing. great. Yeah. That's great. I mean, to get that sort of support to understand, I mean, cause I had a friend when I was growing up, he was really, really, really good BMX biker. So not a motorcycle, but you know, spinning, you know, a bicycle. Right. And I just remember the amount of time and effort his dad took to take him all over California to do this BMX racing. And then once he got sponsors and then all the bikes he had, he had to train. I mean, and you know, he was 12, 13, right. So, you know, for him, it was just like every weekend was I'm racing BMX bikes. That's just what I'm doing. Uh, And his dad was a carpenter. So has, you know, had some flexibility, but boy, like they were always gone. And, you know, the, the amount of just stuff and the training and just all that discipline to just keep on going, even when he would win. And then, you know, he had just a trophy room. I'm sure probably have similar, like there's just all these trophies in this massive room. He's like, Oh, there's another one. You know, he didn't really care. <laughs> just like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Cares. So, but I, I, so I'm at my parents' house, we actually have a, a dedicated room for this because there are mines, there are my dads. And also, so yeah, so two people sort of uh, lives, sports work. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. I've, I've found that a lot of entrepreneurs um, have a sports background and, and I think it's the reason that, that they do is because they understand the commitment to working hard at a process, being an expert, like learning that, that, you know, this is a process, right? Like some days you win, some days you lose, but you got to go out every day and try your best. And, so, you know, when, when you start thinking about, okay, how I'm going to start my business, how I'm going to grow my business, do you have like a process that you go through or are you sort of, you know, how, how does that, how does that work? Because see, w- w- what's really interesting about what you do at uh, Orapa is this whole sales lead process, which is for a lot of startups and a lot of, especially B2B startups, hard. I mean, flat out, just a grind. So what's sort of the techniques that you've used to sort of build that process and, and sort of make these customers successful? So the sort of the best way to approach sales is to be, um, is to sort of do it every day on a day-to-day basis. Um, you need to make it a sort of part of your routine and uh, you know how to get better in sales is to get more deals closed under your belt. And how to get to this point, you need to just have the volume of potential prospects in your pipeline. So you need to get to that point so you will be able to learn sales. So you need to just go out to the market and ask your customers, potential customers, if they want to even if they want to talk to you. That is my whole sort of process. And one of the key th- key things that I have learned over the couple of years on how to best reach out to prospect is to really be different and to try to always make, to stand out all the time. So be extremely direct. Um, just don't go over some, you know, greetings and stuff like this that doesn't really add value to the conversation. Um be ultra short, sweet, just 
to the point, uh, make it a no-brainer, personalize it, and really stand out. Try to always stand out. So it, I have even sent a couple of emails in my life that have been like a one-sentence emails, and they mm. converted also. So yeah, short, short, short stuff converts. Hmm. Yeah. No. I mean, in it is interesting because I get pitched a lot just because of this podcast and because of the blog and what I do for a living, this PR and marketing stuff. So I see a lot of pitches and it always frustrates me how bad they are given where they come from. <laughs> and, you know, you're right. Like I, I, in fact, I've I actually have some rules on how these things go, right. For, especially if you're pitching a reporter, yeah, because reporters are the ultimate, like trying to close a reporter or trying to get them to cover your story is just the worst because they're busy and they, they, you know, they, they've seen it all, right? I mean, they've literally, there's nothing you can kind of surprise them with. So, you know, how do you, how, how, how do you keep it fresh? How, how do you, how do you stand out among, I mean, there's so much noise out there. How, how is it? Is there a, do, do you just try stuff out or are there, you know, you, you see, you mentioned, keep it short, get rid of the platitudes, get rid of like, you know, Hey, how you doing? I hope you all is well, you know, all that sort of stuff and just sort of focus on the main message. And so how, how do you, how do you go about figuring that out for, you know, each one of these companies that you deal with, or more importantly, the, you know, how do you vet the sales reps to, to know that they're going to be successful with potential clients? Because my guess is since you've got this marketplace, you got to deliver, right? And if you don't deliver, well, then you don't get paid. So how, how does that all work? So to sort of my approach to making, to testing new things and outreach is to uh, try to get, try to be as short as possible. So cut as many words as you can. And really, and even, and even try some like, like, extremely short emails straight to the point try to just use like 17 emails in a whole sorry 17 words in a whole email um that's not the particular number that i follow but first one to, that came to my mind because you need to be really thoughtful about the words that you use uh, try to use normal language not jargon or anything just normal language hey can we make more you more money or can we get you more customers? That's the sort of normal language. Not that we are best propriety AI-based platform that delivers <laughs> on uh, customers' engagement and retention. That that's bullshit to me, right? Um, the goal is to it's it's way different. So, and if you follow those rules, I'm a bet that you will send out from ninety-seven percent of the emails, right? Um, also one of the practical tip that I can give is maybe try to use some photos, maybe try to use GIFs or maybe try to use some cartoons, uh, and follow-ups, right? Something relevant that you can use just to spark a bit of humor or, or make it more funny for the prospect, because this way you will hundred percent, uh, stand out. Yeah. And so in terms of how our reps are vetted, um, I vet them personally. So we have over 150 sales reps. Most of them are from US. So uh, they work in sales in nine to five jobs normally. And after hours, part-time, they help out cool companies on our platform. 
And so I vet them always personally. Um, this is how it works now. Um, they sort of use my expertise on how to do outreach best. So I all, then they also learn from each other. So we have the, the office hours um, every other week or so. Uh, and the reps can share their wins and losses. They can share practical tips to sort of, you know, uh, make them all successful. Hmm. So, so uh, like I told, like, like we talked about a little bit before, lots of startups have this problem with sales. And I know from this, from firsthand experience, because every startup I've ever been at has always had a sales problem. It's always never a technology problem. Mostly, mostly it's how do you get people to buy this whiz bang thing that you just invented? Um, what, what do you recommend to, for startups in particular that are trying to, you know, hire sales reps to go off and do this outreach? Because I mean, I've found we've tried that. I've tried this at a bunch of my startup companies and it didn't work. And the reason why it didn't work, at least from what I could tell, is that the founders need to start selling first so they can understand like what this thing is. Because when you're sort of in the, the beginning stages of things, um, it's hard to know what message to put out there. It's hard to know what your product is. It's hard to know what's going to resonate. And, and what I found is that sales reps, they sort of need a formula. Like, hey, this is the deal. Go off and find me prospects like this, and it's pretty clear that there, you know, the formula will work. Now, how you get to them, like you said, and everything, but the offer typically that has to be a pretty solid offer. Um, have you found that 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 as well, or is it just most? I mean, what are some of the clients that come to you and say, "Yeah, I need sales reps." How, how do how what what are they? What's that composition, and and do they run into this problem or? Are they a little bit more mature when they come to you? So if you are a founder of, of a startup, yeah, you need to let sales for a long time before you can outsource that to other folks. That's 100% true. And you sort of need that still, uh, you need that feedback and you need to be in the trenches with your customers to really try to think of you know potential objections beforehand or try to really... Uh, use that time with your potential customers to think of new ways to develop ideas and stuff like this. So um, this is the point sort of that is not negotiable. You need to do this. However, at some point, once you get some volume, uh, you need more volume to really accelerate your sales. And this is sort of where we come in most of the time. And once the founder is sort of pretty sure that, okay, okay, uh, once I get, you know, 10 meetings with this sort of type of people at that type of company, I am able to close one to five deals from this 10 meetings. Mm-hmm. So this is where we come in. This is our reps. Just go and get you more meetings so you can have more volume, more pipeline, therefore more revenue and more budget to potentially hire uh, account executive that will close deals for you. And so you can move to other high value tasks. But yeah, um, I see, I also speak with a lot of founders that they they try to outsource sales from the beginning and it's never going to work because no matter how good the sales rep is, they will never know the product that you have built better than you are. Mm, and I so also true. have been 
um, you know, in a couple of, uh, I've been speaking to a couple of people that actually being a founder uh, during, for example, uh, enterprise deals have actually bring a lot of value because they've been able to explain the product way better than competitors' sales reps. Yeah. Uh, so interesting. Yeah. No. I'm. I'm. I. Okay. I'm. I'm glad my <laughs> my experience is 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 been validated because again, you know, one of the biggest challenges that a lot of technical founders have, and maybe founders in general, but technical founders in particular, they don't like to do sales. They're like, we're technical people. We write code or we design whatever. Uh, and that is always this barrier, I think, between them and, and like the real needs in the marketplace. Because you're right, like a, a rep can only get you so far. And I do kind of like the model that you have where basically the rep that you that, that they would hire through your site will, will get you the meeting that you can then go close or qualified or vet a lead or a prospect so that okay, you as the founder or your founding team can then go in and close the deal. Uh, and you're right, as, as that sort of process goes on, you start to learn, oh, actually, heck, I, we need to change our messaging. We need to change our uh, our offer or the price is a problem or this or that. And, you know, no, yeah, I don't think, I mean, even a great sales rep won't necessarily know that right away. Yeah, so one of the key ways why I ever why I sort of picked this model is it's way easier for the sales rep to learn a couple of things and then try to sell the meeting than it's for the sales rep to take on I don't know 30 days to really understand the product and then to sell the product and close the deal because the effort to really book a meeting is to try to you use short and simple email or a short phone call to give an idea and try to put as many value propositions that are relevant to the potential customer as possible and then get them to commit to a time exchange in the form of a meeting like our sales call. Yeah, yeah. And and you also uh, on your platform you only get paid if you're successful, which I yeah, find that's, so that's a pretty good model too. That, that's a perfect model. Uh, but sort of when startups come to us or our companies, uh, digital agencies also come to us, they, uh, we charge them $99 per month to access the platform just because the amount of companies that need more sales calls is infinite. Mm-hmm. And the amount of sales reps that are willing to work after hours for call companies is sort of limited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why we sort of need to balance that demand and supply side to, to make it work. And it's we've been able to make it work because now we have over about 30 customers or so, uh, 35, I think, and over 150 sales reps. So it's sort of good ratio um, to, to, to be working with. Yeah. And it's also skin in the game, right? Like if you really need this, (laughs) which is again, what I've found when it's come to like free trials and pilots and stuff, skin in the game, can't stress that enough. Uh, Committing some sort, and usually it's more than just your time. It's also, okay, I'm paying for this service. 
you then get a lot more involved in making it successful. Um, and it is an interesting model because uh, again, you know, the, 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 the way you've broken it down, I think it makes a ton of sense for like a startup model, right? I mean, probably for other models too, but you know, in order, because that's one of the hardest things that founders have is how to prospect, how to get people in to talk to. Because once it, once you talk to like once a founder is talking to a customer, well, then it. I mean, it's it's actually pretty magical because the customer potential prospect or potential customer feels like spe- almost special. Like, oh, I'm talking to the CEO. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. oh, wow, like you really care enough to talk to me. But boy, getting those prospects. I mean, that's just, that's a grind. I mean, that's blue collar, hard work. Again, like you mentioned, you know, a lot of outreach. Uh, And so how, do you have any like statistics on how, how successful the reps are? I mean, I'm sure it's dependent on what they're trying to get a meeting for, but how is this, what can people kind of expect if, of course, all things being equal, you know, they've got a decent offer and they've kind of explained it. Is there, is there some magic ratio that this thing works well at? Yeah. So I think that sort of on average, we we were seeing about 11 meetings per month uh, for, for companies Um, sort of, and they also, the reps are trying to also use sort of my thinking and my sort of uh, methods and they've been consistently bringing like 90% open rates, 30% reply rates. So when I say you need to write short and sweet emails, I really mean it because this stuff works. So, yeah. And, that, and do, they, do they also use like LinkedIn? I mean, how, how does LinkedIn, LinkedIn play into it? So the red sort of use what they like. It's, it's sort of it's the the model and the form of outreach that they prefer that they think will bring the most amount of amount of results for companies right uh, because reps don't want to spend a lot of time and not get any results they care about how much the time put in to get x amount of results so some of the reps like to prospect on linkedin because that's where they get results but it's really up to them um We've seen reps using all three forms, which is cold email, cold call, and LinkedIn. Or we've seen reps just use Wellform. Hmm. And and so really it's up to them how they want to do it. The, the real metric that you go after is how many meetings are you getting for this company? But however you do it, party on. <laughs> but this is the result we want to get. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, of course, uh, companies have access to sort of um, to oversee the whole process. So it's not like reps are running around and asking everybody and potentially harming the company's reputation. Um, But it's sort of a discussion at the beginning. Okay, how you would like to reach out? Okay, LinkedIn works well well for me. Uh, Reps also sort of share the 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 scripts that they use to to sort of make sure that the company is okay with it or so the company also get this data okay uh the rep did that it didn't work so maybe we can some sort of you know uh, just another data point that they they can use in sales conversations hmm 
Yeah, no, I could see how that could be a real gold mine of information for a company trying to figure out their messaging because, you know, like I said before, startup sales, especially at the beginning stage where you're trying to find product market fit, you're trying to like figure out, like, I mean, who knows what's going to work. Having more and more data just makes it easier to say, okay, we got to narrow in on this or we got to narrow in on that. Um, do do companies use multiple reps through your service? Some 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 do. Yeah, yeah. It's not like it's limited. Uh, like I mentioned, the ratio is pretty good, thirty to one hundred and fifty. Uh, so some of the reps work at only one company, and some of the companies work with a couple of reps. So yeah, it's really it's really unlimited, right? It's it's a marketplace. So I like to say, top reps earn top dollar. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And, and, and you, and you mentioned something I found interesting. So most of the people, the reps in your marketplace, they have daytime jobs. Like they just, they have their nine to five and they do this sort of off hours. Have you found that those are the better folks to do this or have, are there some people that just kind of do this full time? So I think we are not there yet in terms of volume and uh, infrastructure to uh, really give reps a full-time salary from this. Uh, that's my ultimate goal to really give reps a full-time salary because when I was snowboarding, something like this uh, would be a perfect solution for me. Um, but it isn't. There is none. There isn't a platform like this ever. It haven't been created yet. Um, so I'm hoping that in the process of building a cool company, I am also able to provide a lot of people with full-time salary with, you know, a flexible schedule without angry sales managers and, uh, quota bash to their faces, uh, and uh, being in a stressful situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I didn't think about it that way. Because I mean, a lot of salespeople. I mean, you know, sales is driven by quotas and results. I mean, hands down, it's like one organization that you just know the metrics, right? And you know what drives the metrics, and you know what drives salespeople, right? Commission and stuff. But in this model, it doesn't seem that there's no real direct commission other than I set a meeting up for you, and when I set the meeting up for you, I get, you know, I'm, I am incentivized to get the meeting but I'm not incentivized to close the sale. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that maybe that, hmm, I never thought of it that way. So there's really no like quota, so to speak. I mean, you may have the, the, the company may be like, you know, I want 10 meetings a month, which they can drive towards, but the, but the rep really doesn't have a quota, do they? No, they don't have a quota, right? It's it's really up to them, right? Um, sort of the only thing that they need to care about is how mu- how they are going to make the money, and that's pretty much it, right? And of course, so we also sort of try to think about uh, the qualification of the meeting because that's the question that we get a lot, right? Okay, uh, meetings are cool that I will get them, but how qualified are they? Right. So I like to explain it that it's really a company's job to put a qualifying criteria 
in a sense that the rep will know 100% that this is a good meeting, this is a bad meeting. So they won't waste time on those bad meetings. So mm. you, know, you can use many different criteria. I can give examples. Okay, those are the companies that we had meetings and those were, those were an awesome clients in the past couple of months or so. This is why they were called. And on the second side, you have, you know, you can give bad example. This is, this, this is a bad example of the meeting. This is why we don't want to meet with those type of companies. And this is why exactly. And then, you know, reps can basically only uh, spend time on those meetings, on those companies and prospects that will lead to a good meeting because that's what ultimately is going to uh, get the results that they want. So, okay. So, so, so some criteria. So, I mean, I like the way you sort of say, hey, it's up to the company to figure out what this criteria is. I mean, I, I think that's the reason why founders need to do sales, <laughs> really, because they, they don't know. I mean, no one knows until until you start selling and things start to move. So, um, and that's, how, how has that been? Have people been generally open to that philosophy? Yeah, uh, it's a perfect philosophy for the rep and for the, for the company, right? Um, because... If the rep is able to provide only good meetings, sorry. If the rep is only is able to provide only good meetings, then he will be in business, and the company won't be able to get rid of it because, well, he's he or she is getting us a lot of great meetings. So let's have him do more of it, and let's make all together a lot of money. Mm, yeah. 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 I mean, it's, I, you know, it's so interesting the way you've sliced this up because a lot of startups, again, will hire reps to sell. So their metric is close the deal. Right. And again, when it comes to a startup in the beginning, who knows what's going to close the deal? Uh, and in this way, I think it's, I guess the word, I'm, I mean, it looks, it seems like it's fair to both sides. Right. Cause, cause I mean, you can literally like hire a salesperson and sales reps to go sell something that's maybe unsellable simply because you haven't quite figured out the messaging yet. You know, your marketing's not there. Your feature set's not there. You haven't talked to enough customers to know, I mean, just have it. And so this, huh? I like this model. This, this seems like, this seems fair. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it really is. Right. Um, uh, because sort of if you are, are unable to sell your own services, how else someone who is not incentivized about building a great company is going to do that, right? You as a technical founder or as a founder of a startup, you are responsible for building that company. And one of the way one of the sort of key ways that you are you need to do to build a great company is you need to show traction to investors or to just build a great company and to do that you need revenue so that's the thing that you sort of need to do it's not like uh, nice to have it's a must <laughs> it's so true be your priority and you need to be able to put aside your preferences on how to sell and if to sell and just do the work. That's, that's the whole game. If not, you know, pick a different game. 
<laughs> true, true. Do, do you provide training for like founders to actually sell their own stuff? I mean, are there some things that, you know, you've, you've, of course, you've got this prospecting service and, you know, getting the meeting, but do you also offer, Hey, maybe you should talk about your product this way, or these are some of the things that have worked for these types of prospects or, I mean, how, how, how does that work? Cause I mean, I'm, I'm kind of just coming back to the point of like, what makes a good meeting, right? Is it, they want to buy clearly, or are there other things where it's like, it's kind of out of your control if these founders can't sell, but I mean, you're, if you're, if you're getting them quality meetings and they can't close deals, that's bad for you too, right? It is bad. So that's why we only sort of work with companies that already have a clear picture of who they like to sell. Hmm. Uh, I'm not saying that you need to have like 100 com- uh, customers already, but a good idea that, okay, if I get another 10 meetings with this type of person, I will close some deals. It is a, it's a great way to think about. And we sort of provide training, but we provide also you know additional training for the sales reps. Uh, we don't really do training for um, for, for sales uh, for founders. Uh, it's been on my sort of uh, uh, long to do this, to do list, to maybe potentially do something. But you know, if I get to spend a couple of minutes with a founder on a call, I'm always you know providing some of the uh, key insight that he or she might implement to really get more sales calls or uh, close more deals. Yeah. No, I think that would be a very valuable thing. Um, I don't know many, I I can't think of any good founder sales training where, Hey, I got the meeting now what? Right. (laughs) Cause that, that I think would be hugely beneficial because not only can then a founder kind of gauge where they're at in their process, but also it sort of takes away Oh, is it an approach thing or is it a product thing? Because as you know, right, you can approach it in different ways. Just like you know, oh, is it a short email, long email? Is it LinkedIn? Is it cold call? Is it whatever? Uh, it just—I don't know. It just seems like there's something there because I mean, one of the things that I, you know, like let's just say, oh, I wanted to have your service. I would worry about how if I do get the meeting, how am I going to judge if it was a quality meeting, quote unquote, right? And my guess is half of it has to do with the people on the other end and the other half has to do with what I'm pitching. Yeah. So, um, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, the goal in the end is to help founders make more money and get help them help them close revenue, close business and get revenue. That's that's the goal. And the one part of the process that I think is the hardest for most people is how to get to the first meeting and how, how to really start the conversation. That's the <laughs> hardest part. Mm-hmm. After that, I know it's it's like gaming, uh, it's like game on conversion rates. Hmm. Uh, in early stages, if it's 10%, it won't really that much matter if it's going to be 12 or 20 even, right? I know it's going to be double amount of effectiveness in the process, but, you know, you will sort of, if you do that enough, and again, if you do that enough, 
you will learn it and you will be better at it. But the problem of doing it enough and learning is you just need more of it. And for yeah. founders, it's a big problem because it's the task is very time consuming. It's daunting. Uh, you get, you know, get rejected all the time. So that's the problem that, that you need to be better at it, but to be better, you need to have some guidance, but also just have the training on the job, right? The amount of sales calls, the hours on the Zoom. <laughs> you know, this is how it should go. Yeah, no. I mean, you, you know, that's, a, that's actually a great point that uh, the more you do it, the better you get. And I think the more quality opportunities you have, you know, at bat, to use a metaphor, a baseball metaphor, I mean, the more opportunities you are going to hit a home run or to get the, get the hit or whatever. And yeah, exactly. a exactly. lot of, yeah. I mean, in that you're right. The, the worst part of all of that is getting the phone is getting the meeting. Like that whole prospecting part is what every founder dreads, unless you're a sales person founder, <laughs> then you're like, Oh, this is my job. I'm going to go do it. But every other founder I know, be it technical or finance, or even marketing. It's just, gosh, what a grind. Oh, I got a cold email and cold this and that. And what message do I use? And it's just, it's tough. It's really tough. So it is tough, but it's really nice when you, you know, spend a couple of hours preparing the cold email campaign. And then a couple of hours later, you get a reply uh, saying, Hey, I'm interested. And then after you reply with your link to your Calendly, once you get that sweet confirmation of the demo next week, it's it's the greatest feeling in the world, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Having done a little bit of that, I can attest. Like when when I get a reporter to write a story about a company I'm working with, or they get press coverage. I mean, there's no greater feeling <laughs> to be like I did that, you know? Because again, it's a hard. I mean. PR and marketing is sales in a different in a different way, especially being a publicist. It's just a different kind, but it's still similar. It's a similar method, you know, where you got to prospect the right way, and 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 even like you know, founders. When I talk to founders about this, the the getting media is similar to getting sales calls, right? It's this vast ocean of things to do, and it's the hit rate's really low and you're like, this is so depressing that everyone says no and they don't like what I, how come you can't like what I built? I'm a, you know, I, my baby, you hate it. You think it's ugly, <laughs> you know? And um, it is sort of nice to have that. Well, outsourced is probably a good word, but you know, like the quality coming in, then you can practice more and not have to worry about the the gap, you know? So that was really cool. Well, hey, Stan, I appreciate your time. I know it's getting late over there and uh, you're over in Poland and uh, really great that we could connect through matchmaker.fm yet again. Another great uh, interview from there. And uh, yeah, keep me posted on what's going on. I'm, again, really fascinated by what you're doing. And uh, hopefully uh, one day I can actually throw some, throw some startups your way. Awesome, awesome. Right, if anyone listening... Uh, want to sort of um, get some my point of view on your sales process, 
you know, feel feel free to reach me on Twitter, on LinkedIn. It's Stan Rumkevich. I'm pretty sure you will get my last name from the podcast name because yep. I won't be able even to spell it here. Um, my email is stan at orapa.co. It's stan at orapa.co. Yeah, something like this. Yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes. So they'll know where to get you. So thanks again, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.